welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. So this is GW of Texas, and I'm again honored to uh, call Joanne my friend and be able to uh, have the opportunity to bring her back for the third week in a row. Just a quick summary of some of her background. she is, lives most, uh, it's Joanne P., and she lives mostly here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Her sobriety date in Al-Anon is from 1987. Her sobriety date in her 12-step sex program is three years later in 1990. She has told her story and been a, a step speaker at almost every group in Dallas County and the surrounding counties. She's sponsored over 40 people in Al-Anon seven people in her 12-step sex programs here in Texas. She's also in Texas served as her main face-to-face group as a trusted servant in every capacity except the chairman. And she's also involved in a 12-step group in Durant, Oklahoma. And she has six sponsees in Al-Anon there and two in her 12-step sex programs. Um, And so with that, I'll turn it over to you, Ms. Joanne. Welcome back. Thanks for coming. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I have to apologize up first. My voice is going away, so I'm, I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as possible before I lose it. Um, I do come, as I said the very first time, from um, a longer history in, in Al-Anon because my main obsessive compulsive behavior is trying to fix other people's lives and tell them who they should be. And it brought me into um, confrontation with my my sexual addiction. In the last two weeks, I've told you uh, my sex addiction started at the age of 12, ended at the age of 55, uh, and I use that as my chip date. It actually ended before that. I'm not going into that part of it, but I have 22 years of sexual sobriety. Today, I want to sort of talk about some of the things that that helped me maintain my sobriety and my serenity in all of my 12-step dealings. And the first thing is, of course, step one. There's a reading in one of the Al-Anon books that says it is not enough just to repeat the first step to yourself. It's a matter of, of burning it into your soul. It, it needs to become almost innate that the first thing that you, that you think of when you run into a situation where you are feeling uh, powerless and you want power, normally that's about fear, um, that, that you understand that you are absolutely powerless. And I have, I have found that to be really, really helpful. The other thing I found is that I'm powerless over my emotions and my urges, whether that urge is to try to change somebody else or whether it is a sexual urge or or some other uh, substance craving. The thing that I know is that if I am working my 11th step 
all the time, if I am in conscious contact with God as I understand God, if I am looking for God's will in my life and the power to carry that out, that I'm not powerless over my response to my feelings and my urges. Now, if I've slacked off on working my program, if, if I am letting my mind run all over the place and not staying in the moment where God is, then I can be in trouble. But as long as I am within that 11-step framework, I can say no to my urges, and I can step back from my emotions and process and respond to them in kind and loving ways, particularly when we're talking about anger, um, resentment, um, the lack of self-care. Sometimes I have to do that with myself because when it's when I'm not taking care of myself and I get into self-pity, I have to do the same thing. I have to step back and remove myself and say, what's this about? Um, there is uh, another thing that is, is in my reactions that if I get confronted with a situation and I get hysterical over it, if I'm, I'm looking at something that most of the time I probably wouldn't think was such a big deal, and I get hysterical about it, it's usually historical. And for that, for what that means to me is I'm still attached to resentment from the past. I may have worked it on a four-step. I may be aware of it. But it comes up and it grabs me. Then I'm not through with it yet. And I have to go back and reprocess that. Um, and the way I do four steps, and uh, there are many ways to do four steps. There's a lot of material around four steps. But the way I do four steps is right straight out of the big book, the way I've always done them. Column one, who it was. Column two, what happened. Column three, um, my feelings about it. And column four, my part in it. And I've got two more columns that I, that I add. And this came out of AA. This came out of a, a very good friend of mine in AA. And it came about because I couldn't let go of a particular resentment around a uh, member of my family of origin. And the, the process, what the process does is look at the grief that's attached to that resentment. So the columns are, what did I need that I didn't get? And the second column is, what did it cost me? In my particular family situation, what I didn't get as a child were the things that parents are supposed to give to children, that it's just sort of an innate expectation, and it, it, it's the way it works. We're, we nurture. They're not, our, they're not our possessions. They're not here to make us look good. They're not here for our, for our use. They're here because we've been entrusted with that life, and it's a life that we need to nurture and we need to educate and we need to help them find a healthy functional path for them as they go on into, into young adulthood and, and into uh, adulthood. And I got none of that. There were no, and, and, and certainly the world's full of people who didn't get any or a lot of that. And I recognize that. For me, it was like I had no role models. I had no role models for, for how to be a good person, how to be an honest person, how to be a good mother, how to be a good... I had none of that. And what it cost me was my own 
internal self-esteem. It also cost me, uh, in a more practical, down-to-earth manner, it cost me my college education at an appropriate time. I went back to school once I'd gotten into program and worked through a lot of that. I went back to school and got my degree. But it, it, because there was no support, my grandmother didn't want me to go to college because she didn't want me to leave home, and my parents didn't stand up and say, look, she's got scholarships, there's no reason that she couldn't go. They didn't, they didn't give me any moral support at all. And it, it cost me in a very um, uh, financial way also because I would have been in much better position to, after I was widowed to rear my two children um, if I had had my college education and I would have been in much better shape to, to retire. But what, what those two columns are are my griefs. And my friend said, once you get them written down and they're in black and white, they're no longer running around your head like a hamster in a cage. You're looking at them. Now you have to grieve them. And then you can let go of that resentment. And that's exactly how it worked for me. And it still works for me when a, a persistent resistant resentment keeps coming back up over and over and over again. And it took me a good six months, maybe longer, to grieve um, that loss that's in the past and cannot be restored. But it brought relief and it brought a lot of forgiveness, um, not only for my mother, but for everyone involved in the situation. Um, Sixth, and, and, and Moses, I don't know what time we started, so please uh, let me know when I've got 20 minutes. Um, the next thing I want to talk about are the six and seven steps. If somebody said last week in the meeting that, um, you know, once, once you begin to uh, lose the urge for sexual acting out, all the other things come up in your life. Uh, that are our character defects, anger, self-pity, resentment, um, all of that sort of thing. And what I found, and, and of course we list those when we do a four-step as character defects, and we try to stay aware of them, um, and we try to work through them. And what, you know, people seem to, some people that I have dealt with seem to think that they go away, and I don't believe they ever go away. What I think this program gives to us is balance. And I've always seen character defects as Aristotle's golden mean. Everybody has a certain character trait, and it's got an upside and a downside. You know, fear can be paralyzing fear, or it can be foolhardiness if you take it to the other end and you ignore your natural innate fear instincts that protect you. So it's about finding a place on that golden mean where any character defect is in balance, not at one extreme or the other. And what I do, I started out trying to, to say, okay, this is one of my biggest character defects and trying to totally eradicate it. And no matter how hard I tried, it still came back. The thing became that I learned how to uh, modify it and, and do things. You know, anger is okay. Anger is a natural emotion. But the thing that it takes is to be able to step back and say, I'm really angry about this. I need to process this. I'll think about this and I will come back to you and we can talk about it tomorrow or the next day or whatever. 
And that's how I, I came to handle my anger so that I wasn't screaming at people and I wasn't throwing things at them and I wasn't slamming into them and shutting them out of my life. Um, it's not easy work, but it, it's work that, that has a wonderful reward. Um, the ninth... Um, <coughs> pardon me. The ninth step is... Another big thing for me, I, um, I had a, a, a relationship with a gentleman at one time. We were, it wasn't a sexual relationship. It was just a, a, what I thought was a really good friendship. And, um, you know, we, we were very close. We enjoyed a lot of the same things. Um, and we trusted each other in terms of our uh, uh, deepest feelings, in terms of other people, our children, our families, whatever. Um, and at, at one day he, we got into this conversation and he said a couple of things, uh, rather judgmental things to me that hurt me very deeply. And I went back after I, I sort of stepped back and said, I have to think about that. And when I went back to try to discuss it with him, he said, well, I didn't mean it that way. And, you know, his amends was... I'm sorry if you took that the wrong way, but I had no intention of, of saying anything that harmed you. And I got to thinking about that, and, and he may have been absolutely right in what he said, and, but what, what came to me was that many times when I'm focused on what I want, when I'm into self-will and I'm trying to get this project done or I'm trying to do this or that or something else, I don't realize sometimes the collateral damage that I do because I'm so focused on where I'm going that what I'm doing off to the side, the remarks I might be making or the things I might be doing might be hurting people because I'm not thinking about them. And I had one of those incidences that came up and I realized that my amends, I don't think any of us intentionally try to hurt other people maybe in the heights of anger, but most of the time we don't go out and intentionally try to hurt our children or our parents or our coworkers or whatever. It's, it's just, it is sort of co coincidental uh, or collateral damage. Um, so what I've come up with is that I've got a part in that. Even though I didn't intend to hurt them, I've got a part in that. And the way I do it is, is when it's brought to my attention and it's, it's clear that I have hurt someone, then my, my amends is, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry that I caused you harm, that that remark hurt you or that action hurt you. But my part in that is that I was so into myself and into what I was thinking that I wasn't paying attention or thinking about anybody else and that's my selfishness and I apologize for that and then I go ahead and try whatever if there's something that will make it right then I, I try to do that because amends are not just saying I'm sorry amends are giving back what I've taken away in in the incidences where I've taken uh, respect away for I've not treated people in a respectful manner the amends is to give them back the respect that they're due. Of course, what they're due depends on them, but nevertheless, I need to treat them with respect as a child of God. Um, and that, that has been um, another thing that, that was an enlightenment 
probably only 10, 12 years ago. Um, this program works, and, there's always, and the wonderful thing about it is there's always something new to learn in this program. It isn't like you do the 12 steps once and you graduate. It's like you continue to do the steps and the traditions because there are a lot of life lessons. <coughs> I'm sorry. There are a lot of life lessons in, in both the steps and the traditions and the concepts of this program that can be applied to our daily lives. Um, so, you know, things, God gives, in my opinion, God gives me what I need when I'm ready to handle it to grow some more. And there are times when there are rest periods and there are times when you have to climb the mountain. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is um, step 10. Because step 10, uh, if I don't do my, my 10th step regularly and I try to do it, at night while I'm still clear on, on what happened that day and the same thing I need to look at. Um, if I quit doing my 10th step, I get complacent. I forget about little things I've said or things that I've done that might possibly have caused somebody else harm. I've also forgotten about the things that I've done that were in line, consistent, and, and appropriate with my program. So I'm, I have to look at both my character assets and my character defects every day. And then I go ahead and do what I always do and just put myself back into the stream of God's running my life. I've turned my life and my will, my words and my actions over to the care of God as I understand him. And I wait on him to move me down the river to where I'm supposed to be. And I trust him to try to help me remember to think before I speak and to think before I act. This program's been a, a wonderful gift to me. It's given me um, a lot of life that I never thought I would see. It's given me a lot of happiness. It does not guarantee that every moment's going to be a good moment because life happens to everybody. But what it has guaranteed me is that all things come to pass and that if I stay in my program, um, I can be happy, joyous, and free most of the time. And it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm sorry my throat's in such a condition today, but I'm, I'm going to stop now and turn this back over to Moses. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.